It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined, as always, by Alex Barth. And today, we are going to take your questions. You set the agenda. So go right ahead and drop all your questions into the chat, and we'll get to as many as we possibly can over the next hour. So as we let people trickle in and as we get these questions rolling, Alex, I wanted to start with the Patriots linebacker room. And I was going to start with the Gerard Mayo appearance on the podcast, uh, Patriots past podcast this morning, but actually we just got a little bit of news that it's now official that Kyle Van Noy is going to the Los Angeles chargers. Patriots obviously cut Kyle Van Noy never seemed like they had any sort of inclination whatsoever to bring him back uh, to after the draft. But this I would say from Matt Groh, from Gerard Mayo this morning on uh, the Patriots Pass Pod, and really from everything that you hear, the internal hype train for guys like Cameron McGrone, I would say uh, Raekwon McMillan is high on that list, Ronnie Perkins is continuing to show itself, and now Van Noy is no longer an option. Maybe they still bring back a guy like Dante Hightower, but it sounds like from every level of the organization, the coaching level, the personnel level, that the Patriots would like to get younger and like to give these kids a chance to play next season. Yeah, and, and you know, at a certain point, they drafted all the – they kept drafting these guys on the edge from Anthony Jennings, Josh Uche. Um, um, why am I blanking on – on uh, Ronnie Perkins. Right. Um, obviously, Chase Winovich isn't here anymore, but you keep drafting these guys. If you don't play them, they'll never develop. They'll never become better players. I think that was part of the issue, what happened with Winovich. These guys eventually have to get on the field, and, and now they're going to give them that chance. Kyle Van Noy's cap hit was, was relatively unreasonable for what they were going to ask him to do. Uh, I'm not surprised they didn't re-reach out to him, right? You figure if there was another deal to be had, they would have just reworked his previous contract instead of releasing him outright. So I, I, not very surprised by this. I'm, I'm surprised the mathy coach out there can recognize the value in a player like Kyle Van Noy, but that's pretty much the extent of it. So spinning it forward for the Patriots out of this group, and I, I guess it is kind of two separate groups because you have the on-ball linebackers or the outside linebackers Guys like Uche and Perkins, I would say, are more in that category, whereas 
the off-ball guys like McGrone and McMillan are kind of in a separate category. Those guys are not going to play edge rushers roles like Kyle Van Noy played for the Patriots for most of the time last year and in 2019 when he's with the Pats. So which one of these guys, though, I I guess we can start with that edge group. We can split them up or you can just give me one name in general. Do you have the highest hopes for, which is the guy out of this group that you feel like has the best chance to make a real impact? So I guess Josh Uche is probably like the 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 generic Most answer. Player. Yeah. We've seen him pop in camp a couple times. I'll say this, and and people are gonna roll their eyes at me for this and call me a Patriots Homer and a Bobo or whatever. If Anthony Jennings is healthy, I think he can really do something. I really believe that. He was such a stud at Alabama. And you talk about specifically them needing to replace Kyle Van Noy. What Kyle Van Noy did last year versus the player Jennings looked like coming out of Alabama. That's a fit. That's a match, right? So, I, you know, again, he gets buried his rookie year in 2020. Last year, he was hurt. He missed the beginning of camp. He had a family issue, and then he was hurt. He really hasn't gotten a chance to dig in yet. If he's coming into camp fully healthy, I know a lot of people have written him off. I think it's a little too soon to do that. He hasn't showed us he's a bad player. We haven't gotten a chance to see that he's a good player, but nothing he's done so far leads me to believe he's a bet leads me to believe he's a bad player. Uh, I I really want to see what he can do. I really do. I, I I have a lot of of hope for him. Again, assuming that he's healthy coming into camp here. I do wonder because of all those injuries that in college at Alabama within Franny Jennings, if maybe they looked at it and said let's basically redshirt him for a couple of years and let him get his body fully healthy and then see in year three, if maybe he can take off, right? Maybe that's the year where he's, uh, his body's completely healed and he can be the player that they projected him to be or hoped he would be off of the flashes at Alabama. It's tough to get excited about Anthony Jennings though. I mean, quite frankly, he's had plenty of opportunities to flash or to do something in training camp. He's been on and off the field. Uh, the one guy that I keep on going back to, honestly, is Raquan McMillan. I know a lot of people really like Cameron McGrone. I really like Cameron McGrone. I loved his tape at Michigan. I think he's going to be a good player for them moving forward. But McMillan out of this entire group is the only guy that has real NFL tape. Like You can go back to his career with the Dolphins or pre-Patriots and see him actually play in an NFL defense on Sundays at a pretty high clip. And I don't think any of this other group right now that we're talking about is kind of an uncertain, right? There's really a bunch of question marks. You don't actually know what any of these guys are capable of. And that's kind of the whole point. I I think that they're trying to see what these guys are capable of. But we saw McMillan in training camp last year. They were pretty bummed, I would say, about losing McMillan last year. I think they thought he was going to contribute on the team in 2021, if he had stayed healthy, he was having a great training camp specifically, I would say offering up something in coverage that maybe some of those other guys don't have that ability to, he was going to be projected as a core special teamer as well. So maybe one of those guys that can bring some athleticism, some coverage ability to that second level of the defense. I I wouldn't sleep on Cameron McGrone either, but I I think Raquan McMillan, if you're looking at that off ball group, especially next to Juwan Bentley, he seems like the guy that I think has the most, he's the most re- pro ready. I can't think of another, another another word to use there. Most NFL ready player to step in and have a role right away with this team. What, what do you think about Ronnie Perkins? We haven't mentioned his name really uh, yet. You, you like Jennings. I like Raekwon. With Ronnie Perkins, skill set wise, you mentioned Anthony Jennings' ability to 
do some of the Kyle Van Noy things. I think it's pretty clear that they were hoping that Ronnie Perkins would develop into that kind of player too. Once he transitioned into a two point stance and has a little bit more size, a little bit more strength to be an edge setter and have some heavy hands there on the outside. How, how much are you looking forward to seeing him? Do you think that he's somebody that they seem high on? Because if it's not Jennings, then it seems like Ronnie Perkins would be the next guy in line. I would say to step into that Van Noy role. I just don't see Uche at this point, his ability to hold up against the run has been highly questioned multiple times. And you can see yeah, he's it on more the backside guy. Yeah. When he's out there that he's just not willing or able, I shouldn't say willing. He's not able to set the edge. I think Ronnie Perkins at 250, 255 might give them a better chance of having that kind of impact in the run game. Yeah. And in, in coming in Perkins was, pretty raw I, he was one guy when we broke down the draft class last year that I think the consensus was he's probably going to be a redshirt guy he's probably not going to play a ton he didn't play a ton at Oklahoma so now we see what kind of work he's put in in the last year right uh, that's what it comes down to me for him I expect him to be a, 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 a I, I he should play this year I don't know that he's going to play a ton I look at like 30 35 percent usage rate situational player uh, I think that's where you hope he ends up yeah lastly here to wrap up this linebacker discussion I know we've talked about this a lot but I do find it interesting or, or something that we should continue to harp on the fact that the Patriots seem pretty destined here this season to play a lot of those safeties as linebackers yep. in the box. Just like and, we saw in 2020. Right. And I think that some of these guys, I think Bentley is going to have a pretty big role on this defense. I mean, I think he's going to be somebody that's up over 80% of the snaps some games, but mainly I, I think they're looking at this linebacker position and saying, we don't really need to hit on all of these guys, right? Like, it's not like Uche, Perkins, Jennings, Raekwon, and Cam McGrone all have to be good for us to have a good defense next year. As long as one or two of those guys emerge and are able to take on some snaps, once we get into second and 10, once we get into third and seven, we're going to be playing Jabril Peppers and Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips out there anyways in those sub-package situations. So this is really about first down. Once you get through first down, it's a totally different game once they start worrying more about the pass in those situations. And I kind of feel like they're looking at it and saying we have, well, we just named five guys that could potentially pop. As long as one or two of them actually end up being solid contributors for us, we're going to be all set. We don't necessarily need all five of them to be able to be uh, big time players or big time contributors for us. Right. Yeah. I, 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 and I think the idea is you got a bunch of 50, 50 guys and in what are the odds? One of them hits like four or five guys. Right. right? I think you like the odds there. And um, I, I agree with you on McMillan. I think it's for him. It's just a matter of health. He can play. I, I, I think we all know he can play. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. All right. So let's get into some of these questions. Again, we're, we are opening it up to the Q and a now. And if you have any Patriots questions, I'm going to scroll through the chat now. So go ahead and drop these all in the chat. I want to start with this one from uh, our friend, Peter, uh, who I, I see in here all the time. Peter asks about James Bradbury and it sounds like the giants are going to release James Bradbury. If it's not later today, it might be tomorrow. I don't think the Patriots have really been too interested in trading for James Bradbury to this point, but if he's outright released, you never know that could change, but they haven't shown much interest in the player as of right now, from what I'm told but that, I don't know if that's going to change though, because they drafted two corners. They signed Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler. This is a similar conversation to what we just had with the linebackers with the two Joneses that they drafted 
at some point you got to let Marcus and Jack Jones play, right? I mean, you're not going to bury these guys behind too many veterans, but what would you feel or how do you feel about them potentially signing James Bradbury? Cause it doesn't sound like the giants are going to find a trade partner here. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, the financial element of it is. I, I think that Pat's cap has their space now at under a million dollars. So they need to figure yeah. something out with that. I'm fine. They didn't trade for him. His contract was kind of a mess. And clearly now he's going to get released. They read the market, right? They didn't need to trade for him. I'm all for bringing in more corner help. I still don't think they have the top end talent there. I still don't think they're deep enough there. Um, an outside corner, right? I think they're good in the slot between Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, Miles Bryant, Link Tech. That yeah. group's fine. Yeah. Uh, I still think outside corner helps. So if it's, you know, a one-year thing with Bradbury and they can make it work under the cap, I'm all for it. Yeah, a one-year deal or even a two-year deal where that second year is partially guaranteed and it's more a one-year deal with right. the cap yeah. space spread out over two. Those types of deals, I think, make all the sense in the world for a guy like James Bradbury with the Patriots because he comes in day one outside of John Jones, who's a slot, obviously. So in terms of outside corners – He's your best corner in the room in day one. If he, if he signs here with the Patriots has that ability to play man coverage played in a pretty similar system with Joe judge there in New York over the last a year or so. So I, I love the fit. I think you'd be a great help to them and that would kind of help build that bridge. But I, I sort of feel like they've already made it clear that their price points much lower than James Bradbury. And they're hoping to bridge that gap between the JC Jackson, Stefan Gilmore era, and hopefully the Joneses and the guys that are right. coming next with Terrence Mitchell, with Malcolm Butler and those types of players and not the $9, million, $9 to $10 million corners like James Bradbury. I'm not saying that's the right way to go necessarily, but that's clearly the way that they feel about it right now, I would say. Yeah, and so again, if Bradbury, if Bradbury could be part of that bridge, there you go. I wouldn't give him a long-term deal either, but I – it was still they still got to maximize Mac Jones' rookie deal, right? And they haven't yeah. done a, a bunch to they haven't done a ton to do that um, so far this offseason. So a move like that would be, I guess, as close as they can get right now. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at BetOnline.ag. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, Major League Baseball fights, and even next season's NFL futures. And don't forget this weekend, as the run to the roses is on at the Kentucky Derby. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so another question just based off of free agents that are out there. The deadline for the comp pick formula and that being a factor has come and passed. So now any signings that the Patriots make will not affect their comp picks for next year. So if they do go out and sign James Bradbury to a decent contract, it's not like that's going to offset the third round pick that they well, got. Or, or that would have offset it. anyway. That that wouldn't have offset it's anyway right. because Fair he enough. got released. Right. 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 Any street free agents at this point, honestly, Trey Flowers kind of fits that category too, right? He was cut. Another so guy who was released. He, yep. Right. So that wouldn't really matter anyways, but I've and heard. And Sue would be one who would be now that, you know, and that's a good point in the, in the chat. Now that we've passed this point that he wouldn't 
hurt them in the comp pick formula. Yeah, so is Ndamukong Sue a name that you like? I mean, who out of the remaining free agents? There are still quite a few guys. I mean, I know the Honey Badger signed with New Orleans a couple days ago, but there are still some guys out there. And now that you know where you went in the draft, you can look at some of your holes that you have and say, you know, we could use a player here. We can use a player there still. Anybody else on that list of free agents that is remaining that you would like to see them bring in? Yeah, I I think um, uh, Trey Flowers would probably be the guy for me. I think he can give you that strong side edge setter three down presence, kind of what you got from Van Noy. He's going to play that position a little differently, but I think schematically he can still give you about what Van Noy gave you. I know we just talked about well, you got to play these kids, you got to play these kids, but I'd like to have a veteran option in the can just in case. I don't think it's going to take cost a ton to bring him in. So that's that's the guy I'm watching. Assuming yeah. he's healthy, of course. Yeah, that that's an easy one. I think that's definitely up there. I mean, just looking up at some lists here, obviously, like Odell's the biggest name, but I don't really see the point in doing that. One guy that I think right. that is interesting that's also out there, I'll give you two. Uh, one is Akeem Hicks, still out there, okay. right? And, and we've seen him play in the system and play well in the system. We talked about it on the show, I think, on uh, Tuesday, that the Patriots didn't address the defensive line in this draft until the sixth round. So maybe a guy that could come in, play some D line for you this year. That was the board didn't shake out the way that you wanted it or didn't shake out the way that it could to line up a defensive line pick. And let's say the top 100 or what one of those fourth round picks. So maybe they look at a guy like Akeem Hicks. I still wonder if they would look at another veteran interior offensive lineman. I know it feels like Cole strange should automatically start a guard when you take him at 29 and take him in the first round. But Going into camp, it wouldn't hurt to have another veteran in that group. Right now, it's what, like James Ferentz, if Cole Strange right. isn't ready to go, or uh, the CFL cat, who I can never remember uh, his last name. Desjardins. Yeah, Desjardins. I mean, those are the two guys that we're really talking about starting in week one if Cole Strange isn't potentially ready to start in week one. The one name I'll throw out there, I know he's looked at as a complete failure in the NFL, but Eric Flowers actually has some decent guard tape in the league. He was not very good at tackle, but when he moved inside to guard, he got a little bit better, a little bit more steady. I'm just looking at one of those players. There's always one of those guys bouncing around that you can get that can come in and play guard for a month or play guard for six weeks. If they have to go that direction with Cole Strange, I I don't know if there's any Cole Strange questions in the chat that we can get to this point later, but Uh, his pass protection is still pretty raw and he's talked about it openly with different people along this pre-draft process that he hated pass protection early on in his career at Chattanooga. It wasn't something they asked him to do a ton of that was a pretty run heavy offense. So they, they might not be ready to throw him out there week one. I know it's pretty automatic that he's that plug and play guy for most people. uh, But I look at it and I would, I'd venture to say that he's still got a ways to go in pass protection. So we'll see they might just throw him out there just because of where he was drafted. But I, I would say that a guy like Eric flowers comes in, maybe is a little bit more of a safer bet for week one gives you a little bit more upside than somebody like Desjardins or James Ferentz. So that's another name I'd throw out there. A question here about Ty well, how Martin. about, how about Marcus Cannon? If we're going to go down that road. So is Marcus, we're moving Marcus Cannon inside the guard now because he's been a, a tackle his entire career. Right. Well, so he, he came out as a guard. He did. And he, he, did. he might be at this point. I Just in general, too, just some more tackle depth, right? I, I still don't love their tackle depth, even after taking Stuber. So um, I, you just got me thinking in terms of, like, veteran offensive linemen. 
Yeah, I just think it could be it would behoove them to maybe bring in one more body that's got some NFL starting experience on the line, just because you don't necessarily want to have to throw Strange into the fire if he's not ready to be thrown into the fire quite yet. And that is a pick that I've heard a lot of Kyle Duggar comparisons from people I've talked to that maybe he's more of like a guy that's going to hit his stride halfway through the rookie season or maybe year two, kind of like Duggar did. So I, I would just, I would like to see them add another veteran there. Cannon, if they think he still has something left in the tank, Flowers, I'm sure be somebody that I am not mentioning right now that they end up bringing in, but somebody in that category I think would be important. All right. So even if it's bringing um, uh, Alex Redman back, because I, I don't think he's signed. I don't think he's signed either, and he does have some some tape with uh, Cincinnati, right? He he did have some some yeah. reps with Cincinnati. I mean, and yeah, he's still out there. I don't know if Alex Redmond is offering you much more than James Ferentz does, right? I mean, I think James Ferentz is a center, so that maybe that's the difference, right? Is that a guy like Redmond is more of a natural guard? He's a nasty player. He's physical. Uh, you like his toughness. You you like his play demeanor and his play strength. So maybe they that is something that they could entertain as well. Yeah, I just would like to see them have a little bit better of a backup plan to James, to uh, Cole Strange than James Ferentz and Desjardins. I, I think that they can do a little bit better with the depth there. All right. All right yeah, fair enough. Yep. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. Let's move on. That's okay. Uh, all right. Let's answer this question about Tyquan Thornton. I I did a Tyquan Thornton feature today, film room as well. You can check that all out on CLNS.com. Uh, this is the number one question that I get with Taekwon Thornton is about press coverage, right? Is he going to be able to beat physical press coverage? People look at his profile, 180, 185 pounds, slight frame, not a big guy. How concerned are you with his ability to play through contact, to beat press coverage? And is that something that you think could maybe hold him off the field and as a rookie? Or just in general, we can also kind of play this forward. We've talked about this a little bit off the air. They almost have too many wide receivers now. It's not even that right. I, I get everybody says, oh, Evan, come on. They don't have too many wide receivers because the talent level uh, of that group in general. But they got five guys that can play and not all five of them are going to play. So I think a big part of it is how ready is Tyquan Thornton? And I think number one thing to answer with that question is, can he get off NFL press coverage and and beat physicality both at the line of scrimmage. And I would also mention down the field as well. Can he hold off guys at the catch point and can he make catches in traffic? If he can do that, then Aguilar is, I mean, what are we really doing here with Aguilar? Right. So right. it's going to be an interesting conversation, especially in training camp. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, you know, immediately when they took Thornton, there were a lot of questions about, you know, are they going to trade Nelson Aguilar now? What does that mean for him? I think it's probably too early to do that right now. Um, but I think if if Tyquan Thornton gets off to a strong start in camp, we're going to start having that discussion. You know, maybe they need another linebacker. Maybe they need another corner. Maybe somebody gets hurt somewhere. They need depth. Um, it suddenly Aguilar becomes very movable. If Thornton uh, makes the strides we, we're looking for him to make in, in year one, in terms of how ready is he, I it's going to be interesting to see how creative they get with him. You talked about his release package and some of you know, what he was able to do with that in college. Yeah. Uh, he's somebody I think would make sense to use in motion quite a bit and kind of not let that other corner truly get set up against him. I think there could be an advantage to that. Um, that is, that is going to be the big issue in terms of the catch radius. I'm actually, or in terms of the contested catch thing, I'm not that worried about that. I know he has the smaller hands and that's one of the big knocks, 
But one thing he does so well, and I think there's there's a couple things about his game to get lost because everybody just looks at the speed, right? But one of the things I think he does so well is, and I've been saying this since they picked him, the body control, right? Yeah. He's 6'2". I think he's closer to 6'3", actually, and he knows how to use that size. He's not somebody that's going to be a traditional contested catch guy, but he's somebody I think if you throw it on the back shoulder or you put the ball up and let him use his height to separate, he's somebody who's going to be able to win in those situations, especially against smaller corners. And with his speed, he's generally going to draw smaller corners. There's not a ton of corners over six feet that can run with him. That's why I liked, you know, Tariq Wollin in the draft so much, right? Because you just don't find that guy. So I, I, I think if they're smart about it, and this goes to the whole developing and the usage with the wide receivers and can they figure it out, if they're smart about it, they'll throw him a lot of back shoulder passes. They'll throw him a lot of jump balls and he won't have to be that traditional contested catch guy because when he's six, two in the corners, five, 10, if you put the ball two feet off his shoulder and have him turn and get it, he can get to that ball. He's very good at getting that ball, especially along the sideline. We saw a lot of that at Baylor corners, just even if they're sticking with him, aren't going to be able to make that play. And if they want to be able to stay honest on him to be able to stop that, well, then he's just going to run right by him. Yeah. You can't play that ball against a guy with four to eight speed. So, you know, it comes in some of it is him and continuing to develop that part of his game. Again, some of it is the team and giving him those opportunities. I know Evan, the routes you said with him, obviously the go routes, you like that post over with him, which I do too. I want to see them run some back shoulder stuff with him. I, I think that that's a lost part of his game. I think it's something a lot of people don't look at. And then again, if you start hitting on that back shoulder stuff on the sideline, you, you open up the deep ball tremendously because you're, you either have to bring a safety over to hold on to the top. And now you're double teaming Tyquan Thornton is going to open things up for Kendrick Bourne for Jacoby Myers, or the corner just basically has to pick his poison on the outside. That could get really scary for defenses. So that that's what I'm looking to see, you know, how, how well is he doing with some of that off body catch stuff and are the Patriots putting him in position to do that? that's going to determine how how much he can play right away, I think. Yeah, the number one thing that impressed me the most, well, I, I shouldn't say the number one, I guess the two things that impressed me the most with him when I really did a deep dive into his tape. I, quite frankly, I liked him so much better the second time around, and I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you just like him now because he's on the Patriots and that your fan goggles are on and you're just yeah, saying Evan. that because they drafted him, right? But once you dive in deeper to his tape, I think the first time through when you're trying to study volume, when I, I mean volume, like I'm trying to get to 200 guys in a couple months, right? The first time through, you don't necessarily see all the route detail and all the little things that he does well. One of the things that really stood out, which is why I think so many of the conversations about his hand size and his, his I saw people commenting about his wrists, like his wrists are, are, are small or something like that, is the fact that he makes a ton of catches outside of his frame, like somebody that can really go and pluck the football, adjust to the football. You see him making catches above his head. You see him making catches that are on throws that are behind him and he kind of contorts his body and he's able to go ahead and snag those passes. He's got strong hands. He's got that ability to adjust to the football down the field, track it down the field. He does all those things really well. I, I would say one of the things that is a strength of his is his hands and his in his ball skills in general i think are really really good the other thing that i i thought stood out uh, on his tape was obviously the release package and i posted a bunch of things on twitter so far 
of some of his releases and how sudden and quick his movements are at the line of scrimmage. And I understand that it's big 12 corners and it's not NFL corners. And we'll see what happens when he gets into an NFL camp. And if he can do that to those guys, but you mentioned the safety over the top. Well, if they're trying to play press coverage against Tyquan Thornton and the corners having trouble pressing him and jamming him at the line of scrimmage, well, then you better put the safety over the top or they're going to start playing off of him. And then when they start playing off of him, that opens up the hitches, the slants, things underneath the defense, and you have those opportunities. So I think he's going to be a really tough guy to cover as long as his his game, his release package in particular, transitions from the college game to the program. I, I don't think he gets enough credit for how quick his feet are and how he has that ability to move laterally to get off of press coverage as consistently as he did in the college game. I, I did not really see... I watched pretty much every single target of his last year. I did not see too many instances where he gets held up, right? Like where he gets jammed and he's unable to run through the contact and he just gets smothered at the line of scrimmage. I saw a lot of instances where he gets off of press coverage, is able to dodge it at the line and get up the field. So we'll see if it translates, but I'm excited about Tyquan Thornton's ability to be pressed. This is not something that I think is a big concern of mine just because of his size, just because of his frame. I think the more the bigger concern that I would have with him in terms of his projection is how much of the route tree is he is going to be available to him and how many routes can he really run if he's going to be a three round three route guy, which you know, fade, post, slant, you know, something like that. And obviously fades incorporate back shoulders and comebacks and things like that as well. But that vertical tree, you really need to be dominant. And on those three routes in order to be a thousand yard receiver, let's say in the league, just running three routes. So is he going to be truly dominant at those three routes that it's going to project to a really big production guy, or is he going to be able to expand his route tree and get guys to respect some of the underneath stuff that he's able to do or become an intermediate guy where he's able to run digs and things like that, that produce intermediate targets that's going to be the biggest question for him is what's his ceiling production wise based off of how dominant he can be on that vertical route tree that the press coverage stuff, the hands, I, I just don't think that people have watched the tape that think that those are concerns like that. That's, that's not the guy that we're talking about here. We're, we're talking about a guy that has no problems with any of those things. So that was the biggest takeaway I had with him uh, kind of spinning it to Nelson Aguilar here. Uh, somebody asking in the chat, how much did they save if they cut Nelson Aguilar or trade him? They actually save, save a pretty good amount of money if they trade him. I think it's almost $10 million is what Pat's cap has it as if they actually are able to trade Nelson Aguilar. Now, I, I don't know how easy it will be to trade Nelson Aguilar, but this could be a situation, Alex said, if at the end of training camp, Tyquan Thornton's had a great summer and he looks like he could at least come in and be a Philip Dorsett or something like that to take off the right. top, kind of like what Nelson Aguilar was last year, I guess is a better comp. Then it does make Nelson Aguilar expensive, uh, expendable. I mentioned the five receivers. You have Myers, you have Bourne, you have Aguilar, you have Devonte Parker, and you have Tyquan Thornton. They can only really play three of them in a, in a big role. Four of them maybe get to play in general. And there's going to be a guy that's going to just be sitting there all the time. So if it ends up being Aguilar as the odd man out, I, it wouldn't shock me one bit. No, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if they can trade him. I think there's some teams that came out of the draft a little light on receiver. Uh, Chicago, I, I know Baltimore, uh, or no, Baltimore traded away Marquise Brown. I don't remember. They didn't take any receivers, did they? 
Baltimore? Not high. No, not not high. They they traded him away and they picked uh Hamilton from Notre Dame the safety in the first round. So Right, which is ultimately good trade. Yeah, I'm looking here. They didn't yeah. take a receiver until ever. They took two tight ends. And I liked I like Isaiah Likely, but I also like Rashad Bateman, who they have coming back from his rookie season last year. He was a really good player coming out. Yeah, they still need, I think Chicago needs like or, or team's gonna have somebody get hurt. Like there'll be a need right. for a receiver. I, I don't know that you get a ton for Nelson Aguilar, but I could see like a pick swap thing where it's like Nelson Aguilar and a, a sixth for a fifth or something like that. Right. I think that's realistic. So um, you could also see, I, I love the trades at the end of camp when they trade a guy for another NFL player where right. the, yeah, you the can see that team, too. Totally. Right. Where the other team's going to release a guy, you see a role for him on your team, on your 53 and you end up just kind of trading uh, assets, right? You, like you end up just kind of, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's something that maybe could come into play at Nelson Aguilar. Maybe they get in deep into training camp. Tyquan Thornton's been great, but they recognize that they they need a, a more pro-ready guard or they need a, another pass rusher or outside linebacker. And then they, they can maybe swap and fill a hole uh, there. It's, it's crazy to say that the Patriots now have depth at wide receiver, but they definitely now had depth at wide receiver. The question more back to the Tyquan Thornton conversation is which one of these guys is going to pop into a number one, right? Like which one of these guys is going to be, is going to develop and do any of these guys have that potential. I, I do think Thornton might have that potential and maybe Kendrick Bourne with more targets could be at a thousand yard guy next year. So we'll see what ends up happening with that room, but it's a little bit crowded now, all of a sudden, especially we haven't even talked about Nikhil Harry. I mean, he's, the sixth guy, he's definitely out of the building if they can get him out of the building. So it's a it's a deep room now all of a sudden. Yeah, no, they, like you said, I think there's ultimately going to be an odd man out. We'll see who it is. But I, I do think that they're in a position to move on from one of these receivers. All right. So are they in a position to move on from one of these running backs is another question that I see a lot. No, they're not. I, 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 I'm with you 100% on this, but just take it away. I, I don't think so many people, oh, how many running backs do you need? You need more than two. You need more than two, okay? Yeah. There's a ton of – did we not just go through last year? James White was such a huge loss, such a huge loss. And then was it Mondre who missed the Colts game and, and Damien Harris got tired at the end or something like that? I might have had that backwards. But first off, running back is really two positions. It's early down back. It's pass catching back. And then you really – they like to have two guys at each at least. They had two NFL – running backs on the roster heading into the draft in Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. Those guys are great. Those guys are great. Damian Harris is also in a contract year though, and he's going to get paid. He's going to be top three running back on the market next year. It, maybe he gets paid by new England, but he's going to get paid. So I don't think they had a pass catching down back on the roster. Love James white. Great Patriot. We don't know what, what his status is with the hip injury. It sounds like he's going to miss at least the start of camp and we'll go from there. JJ Taylor has done nothing in two years. I'm, I, I'm, I'm done with that one. Um, right. And then the only other back they had on their roster during the draft was Ozigbo who they've since cut. They needed backs. I, they like to have four or five on the roster guys who can do different things. It's not like there's a ton of overlap between Kevin Harris and Pierre strong. I think they're very different players. No, they needed backs was taking two in the draft. Cause they've gotten one UDFA or signed somebody maybe, but they, they didn't have enough backs. They, they don't have, eight on the roster. They don't, they have two established NFL backs right now. 
James White's a huge question mark. I like Pierre Strong. I think Pierre Strong's a factor in year one. I learned my yeah. lesson about yelling about running back red shirts last year. They played from Andre Stevenson. I don't right. think Kevin Harris plays year one. All right, not yeah. a ton. He's coming well, off a back with issue. Injuries. Yeah. Right. He's coming off a back issue. He's a power running back. He needs to be able to hit people. Yeah. Um, I I don't think they had enough back. I still actually think they might be a back short. All things considered, I know people are going to crush me for that. I still think they might be a back short. They didn't have enough running backs. You need four or five guys at that position. They had two. Yeah, I'd say at the bare minimum to get through the season, you need four. You need four yes. healthy running backs. I think you need three guys in that early down back role that can at least play right. that early down back role. And you need at least one pass catching back. Ideally one of those three that I mentioned the early down back role, but by all means, go back but by all forth, means, right? skimp at the position and we can do Steven Jackson again, by right. all means, let's go down that road because well, we're running I, backs value math. By all means, let's go down that road. <laughs> let them, let them, let them draft another edge guy instead who won't play. And, and, and we'll do Steven Jackson again. That's the alternative. Yeah. I, think, I hated that take. I hated, no, I know no, you I think, think I'm into running backs too much. No, I hated no, no. that they have too many running backs take. They didn't. Yeah. I think Belichick has learned his lesson, not only from Steven Jackson, but from Cordero Patterson in 2018. Remember when they had to play CP at running back for like two games because right. they didn't have enough running backs. So I don't think the Patriots are ever going to be caught in a position again where they don't have enough running backs in 2018. They had Jeremy Hill who tore his ACL in the opener, right? right. I, I believe. And they cut somebody who is, of course, escaping me right now at the end of training camp. And they only carried four backs. Oh, it was uh, Mike Gillisley. They, they cut Mike Gillisley. They carried right. four backs into the 2018 season. Jeremy Hill tears his ACL in week one. And then halfway through the year, they're playing a divisional game in Buffalo. And the only back that they ha- that they can turn to is Cordero Patterson, who ends up being a pretty darn good running back. But that's not really the point, right? The point is, is that you don't want to. Yeah, it's not going to yeah, happen every time. Right. You don't want to be caught in that position. It would be like having to put Johnny Smith back there, right, at running back because they don't have another guy to do it. So I, I look at it. I think Kevin Harris is probably the red shirt out of that rookie group, right? Out of him yeah, and Pierre yeah. Strong with the injury, but from what I've heard too, the 2020 tape is really the tape that if you're looking for Kevin Harris's ceiling, oh, yeah. the 2020 tape is the tape. The 2021 yeah. tape, he's injured, has the back issues, and is limited. So 2020, in 2020, in 2020 he led the SEC in rushing behind not very great offensive line of South Carolina. He was really good in 2020. Yeah. I like like that that's what you hang your hat on. It's just a 511 220 pound back with back issues. Look, they took him 200th, whatever. If you want to bitch and moan about the 200th pick, you can do that on your time, but um I I'm I'm more certain in Pierre Strong being the impact player. I I'm all in on Pierre Strong. I I learned my lesson just like you last year about Ramondre Stevenson. I think this guy can come in and play right away in that change of pace role. I don't know if they're going to trust him in pass protection. That's the one caveat. Ramondre was early down, just carry the football, right? It wasn't a a pass catching role. So that's the one difference or major difference that you see here, but they might have to just throw him out there in general, just because of, you don't know what you're having with James White. I don't know how they view JJ Taylor at this point. So he might have to play and and I think he's going to play well. And I think he's got that skill set. When we had Eric Gelko on, on Tuesday, he was talking him up in that change of pace role, not necessarily as a guy that's going to carry the football 250 times, but somebody that's going to be a little bit more of a change of pace. And the last thing I'd say about Pierre is that he's a, 
a really good spread runner, right? So if they're putting him in on second, third down in passing situations, and they're going to put 11 personnel out there and they're going to spread the field and they're going to get some of their fast guys out there too, like Tyquan Thornton. Well, now all of a sudden he's going to see lighter boxes. He's going to see a really wide open space. Uh, to be able to run the football. And I think that that's kind of the goal with him is to get some more open space and then allow him to use that four, three, seven in the open field. So I think Pierre strong is going to play too, as a rookie. And I think we both learned our lessons last year about writing off Ramondre at this time of the year. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, let's go back to the offensive line. Okay. And uh, talk about these guys at the end of the uh, day three. I think these might have been two of the best picks the Patriots made the whole draft. And I don't say that as like a way to bash the rest of the draft. I think we're kind of all over that. But just in general, I love both of these picks. I think Jason Hines is a real player that they might have found in the sixth round if he can stay healthy and he can stay motivated and on the field. He had some weight issues. He had some health issues at LSU. But you watch him. He's a really explosive player, really good pull blocker and blocker on the moves. Got tons of really highlight real type blocks when they get him out in space or allow him to lead through the hole and Stuber I think is just one of those guys has some limitations athletically but they've built around that kind of tackle before especially on the right side where if they had to play him as like a a third or a fourth tackle or maybe he develops into a swing down the road uh, he's somebody that I think that they could work around and scheme around so I, I think both of these guys have an NFL future at least as backups on the roster yeah I'd agree I think with Hines there's there's some guys that simply way too much in college and they can't they they struggle to play at their weight and a guy who was like that was Michael Owenu and I'm not saying that Chase and Hines becomes Michael Owenu Owenu played didn't he play at 380 in Michigan it was yeah, like 370 380. 380 and I think yeah. he's down to like 330 now and you see what a difference it makes in his game Hines was never at 380 but he was like pushing 360 I think it was like 350 355 um he's now down to 330 and he talked to us about how much better he feels moving around with all that. So sometimes that change can make a huge difference. I like Hines. I do. I think if they're in a spot where they need to kick Michael and Wenu out to right tackle, I feel good with, with Hines playing right guard. And then Stuber, I'll do my lay Adrian Waddle thing again. People don't realize how hard it is to be a, a true swing tackle. I think he can be that there's potentially some guard versatility as well. I think he's a little tall. He's six, seven, right. To play guard, especially yeah, with a little bit over six foot six. Yeah. So especially with Mac Jones, I, I don't know that a six foot seven guard is the answer in New England, but um, I again versatile offensive lineman. I, he's not. He doesn't have one great skill. Like I don't know that he has a carrying trait, but there's really no weakness in his game either. He's good at everything. He just kind of that's what he does. He shows up. He does his job. It's not spectacular, but he does what you need him to do. They like those guys. They figure out ways to use those guys. Yeah, he'll stick around too. Yeah, I, I think that he's somebody that. Like I said, especially at right tackle with Stuber, I think he's going to be a solid right tackle in their system. That's the power side. That's the side that they don't necessarily put the the premium pass protectors over there. Obviously, the Patriots still adhere to that old football philosophy, especially the right-handed quarterback at the left tackle is the real pass blocker, right? That's the guy that you want to have a high-level pass blocker at. And right tackle is a spot where you can maybe run the football a little bit more to that side. And I think a guy like Stuber is somebody that can really fill that role. And Hines, uh, we'll, we'll see with him too. I, I Again, I, I think that he's a fine too at the end of day three. So uh, two good picks there. Um, all right. Let, you want to talk about a little bit about Mac? We haven't talked about Mac in like sure. 
six months, right? Like everything's all about it, what's going on around that. Some uh, questions here about him improving his arm strength and working out in the off season. I don't think that anybody is actually directly confirmed that he's working with Tom house, but there's way too many to, there's way too much smoke uh, like tweets sure. and like, you know, some, some bouquets being thrown back and forth between Tom house and Mac Jones on Twitter. It's pretty clear that they've at least been working or, or have talked or something, right. Something's going on between those two. Uh, are you, of the belief that Mac Jones is going to come in and, and have some extra zip on the football. Cause I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with any player, the jump from year one to year two physically is a big one. You get the full off season in an NFL weight program, right? These rookies are just getting in. Now the off season has been going on for two months. So we saw with a guy like Kyle Duggar coming in last year, how much bigger he looked. We've seen this in the past guys just change their bodies from year one to year two. Uh, yeah, is I mean, it's that's across all sports. I remember Andrew Benintendi was an example of this. We saw Jalen Brown do it. Like the first full off season as a pro is so big, um, and I there's no reason to think Mac will be an exception to that. I think he comes in. I think he's his body's going to look a little different. He's going to be in shape. He also finally got at the same time he got some time to rest. Right? We talked about this with the rookie wall and everything. He'd been pretty much nonstop since August 2020 until yeah. January 2022. Right? So. Yeah, I, I I think he's going to be in pretty good shape coming in. Yeah, I do too as well. And from what I've heard, some of those workouts that they've had with the Patriots already, Kendrick Bournes worked out with him. Uh, he was with what the whole group, like Myers, Bourne, Aguilar, right. Parker. They were out there a couple of months ago. Uh, the, ball's, the ball's got some zip on it. And I think the one comparison that we always go to is Joe Burrow, who – from year one to year two, he came back in year two in that training camp of his second season. A lot of guys talking about how the ball has just got a little bit more steam on it. Right. And he worked with Jordan Palmer, uh, not Tom house, but basically the same thing as working with a guy like Tom house. And they were able to tweak some of his mechanics and not so much about getting in the weight room, but more so just little things with his footwork and with his release point and uh, the way that he has that kind of snap of the hips and the kinetic energy that they use to be able to throw the football a little bit faster. And he improved his arm strength pretty significantly from year one to year two. If you want to go back a long ways, I mean, obviously Brady has consistently improved arm strength over the years. A guy like Drew Brees was another one that was able to take a big leap up in arm strength. So uh, it is very possible. I I think the notion uh, is often that when you come into the draft, that whatever your arm is, is your arm. And and certainly Mac Jones is not going to go from what he is last year to Josh Allen, right? Like he's not going to all of a sudden come in and be able to throw the ball 80 yards in the air and throw it on a line like Josh Allen can. But I think he can certainly improve it uh, significantly nonetheless. And I, I believe he will. So it'll be interesting to see what, what he looks like. And that'll be one of the fun parts once we start to get out there, even in the passing camps, like the OTAs and mini camps, uh, we'll still get to see him throw the football. So I think that's going to be fun to see. And even talking to some of the players, like talking to some of the receivers and things like that, like they'll be able to tell if if there's a little extra zip on it. Right. So uh, we'll see. I I think it's possible. And I think it's uh, something that that they're hoping is happening right now. All right. Uh, Okay. Here's an interesting question that wide receiver room. We mentioned depth. Uh, Any hope for Trey Nixon? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, try, I think that, you know, the depth's going to hurt him, but if he can fill a role on special teams, I think there's going to be, I, I think him or Wilkerson, right. They lost, they've lost some, so many special teamers here in the last couple of years and Matthew Slater on the way as well. Um, I, 
there's going to be roles for these guys who can play receiver and in, in, in on special teams. I think it's between him and Christian Wilkerson. Really? Um, we'll see what ultimately hap- happens with that, but he's not, he's not camp fodder. I mean, I'm not saying he's a roster lock either. He's not, but I don't think right. he's somebody you can just write off as a body who's in camp to be here. And then he'll get moved on from. Yeah. I remember last year early on in camp and I get it was against backups against backups, but when they were giving Mac all those reps with the second and third team offense against the backup defense, he was completing a lot of passes in those couple of weeks to Trey Nixon uh, working mainly out of the slot, right? On some of those quick hitters over the middle. I I wonder if they see him as somebody that could develop into that role, into that slot role and maybe add a little bit more juice to it. I, I, when he was coming out of uh, UCF, he was much more of a vertical receiver there, right? Somebody that played more on the outside and was a get up the field type of guy. I think the Patriots, as they develop him, see him as more of an inside player that might actually win more at at the short and intermediate level in the NFL instead of somebody that's going to run by you on the outside. So I do find that interesting because they didn't go, I'm not saying this has anything to do with, with Trey Nixon, but the opportunity is there because they didn't go out and draft a, a Kyle Phillips or you know somebody like that that can play uh, strictly inside and play that role. So there is some opportunity to, I guess, develop into that as well as uh, for this one too, uh, Dear King, right? Uh, another guy that real I quick, you is- want a little Patriots breaking news? A little bit. There's a bummer oh, okay. for me. What's going uh, on? Patriots are uh, according to Doug Hyde. The Patriots are waving Therese Hall with an injury, uh, failed physical de- uh, designation. Ah, there we go. So there goes one of those linebackers. I thought he could play. He looks like he could play in 2020. If he's not healthy, he's not healthy. But Yeah, I think in that Mike role in 2020, I mean, he was – there was a game or two there where he was the best they had at linebacker, right, which I guess is maybe an indictment on that roster more than anything. But uh, there was a game or two there where he looked like he could play. He he was bringing some physical pop. Uh, He was able to move. Uh, Yeah, that's a a bummer. That, that, That poor one out for Therese Hall. I agree. All right. Can we talk about right, DR sorry, King? You were saying, quick? yeah. So speaking of guys that might play inside that could probably, uh, they hope might develop into that role. DR King, I think is right in that category as well. I think they view him as a wide receiver. Uh, I think they're bringing him in as like an Edelman type, hoping to convert him into wide receiver and then potentially return punts or kicks or something like that too. Maybe I think Marcus Jones is really that guy, but we'll see. Uh, do you have, where is your hope level? Where, where do you think, uh, where's your confidence level uh, on D.R. King's ability to maybe develop into that kind of guy? I could see it. I don't think it's happening immediately. I don't. And, and we talked about the depth of wide receiver and Jacoby's still here. I, he's a project, right? He's yeah. also coming off a pretty serious shoulder injury. We'll see how, how much he participates. I wouldn't be shocked if he's in like a non-contact Jersey, right? Uh, and that's not any insider information. That's just knowing what he's been through. Um, I, I personally, if he's in a red Jersey, I can see it. Um, he also could be in a red Jersey cause they may see him as a quarterback. So I don't, you know, who knows with that, but, uh, I, I'll be interested to see, actually, I want to see what position he's listed on the roster. Anyway, uh, I, I think he's somebody, they stick on the practice squad. They develop for a year. Right. And then when Jacoby Myers leaves next year, cause he's leaving, he's going to get big money. We see what. We, we, we see him maybe compete for that slot role. He is electric, electric with the ball in his hands, whether it's as a receiver or a quarterback, a kick return or whatever it may be at Houston, at Miami, he was a problem as a ball carrier. Um, I, his arm was hit and miss. I think this last shoulder injury, there may be some lingering issues from that that could complicate that. Right. So 
is he not on the roster? Jay. Yeah. Okay. He's not on the roster yet. So that doesn't help. Um, I, I think they ultimately try him as a slot receiver in 2023. I think this year is just a pure learning year for him. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Maybe he's a practice squad guy. They are able to stash on the practice squad and then use potentially in some sort of a scout team role as well. But you watch him run around with the football as a quarterback. His change of direction is pretty obvious. You know, he's got some change of direction skill. He's got some speed. I, I think that he's somebody that is worth working with, right? Which clearly they do as well. That's why they're going to they're gonna bring him in. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm assuming he's not officially on the roster yet because they haven't officially announced that they signed him to the roster yet. So that's probably uh, why it'd be interesting. I would think they list him as a quarterback just because. I would think so initially. Yeah. Yeah. If they start listing him as a wide receiver, it's kind of given even for them with a guy like D.R. King who's a UDFA, they they don't want to give away too much. Right. Well, actually let's see, let me see if I can um, find the, the release maybe that they sent out when they signed him. I don't think they've officially signed him yet. So uh, I think that's why I thought they a, did. Uh, maybe it did. I haven't seen any UDFA announcements from officially from the team. I've obviously seen the reports, but because I mean, some of those guys were on the. Um, some of those guys were on the roster, like the punters on the roster. Oh, no, maybe not. I guess they haven't released. They haven't announced any of them. All right. No. So you're right. I don't think so. Not yet. All right. Uh, there was one more question I wanted to get to. I, I didn't see, I can't find it. There's a lot of questions and a lot of uh, comments. We really appreciate that, but it was about the offensive coaching staff. It was specifically about Brian Hoyer. I think we're a couple of steps away from Brian Hoyer being considered truly the offensive coaching staff, but they do have these new guys in here. They do have Taekwon Thorin, Pierre Strong, even Devonte Parker, where right now, as it stands on May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo, is your confidence level with their ability to coach it up on the offensive side of the football? Because it certainly got speed, right? They got guys that can run right. now. Now they just got to get those guys into space and uh, be able to get those guys the football and opportunities to use that speed. So do you feel, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about the coaching staff at the moment? That's the question. I actually like the talent they have on that side of the ball. The yeah. question, we, I mean, we don't even know who's coaching what. I know there's been reports. There's nothing official. We'll probably hear that in the coming days. But that's the big question mark to me is what does it look like? Is it going to be the same offense that they've been running, right? Are they just going to carry over McDaniel style? Is it going to be something new? Is it going to be spread? Is it going to look like the old Alabama offense that Mac Jones ran? Are there going to be more RPOs? What's right. Johnny Smith like? I like, I think they have talent. I do. I know you're not allowed to say that. You you, you have to say that, that, that Bill hasn't put together enough of a roster. I think they have talent roster wise. What is the coaching staff bringing to the table? That's right. the big question to me. That's, you know, I know I'm kind of copping out of answering your question, but no, that is the million fair. dollar question. And we yeah. won't get the answer to that till week one. We won't because they're not going to show us enough of that in camp to figure it out. But that that's the ultimate question is who's doing what? I think they have the right, like the, the pieces are there. I think there's a way to put the pieces together where the puzzle makes sense, but are they going to put them together in that order? That's the question. It's a good point. That That's I think at this point, the number one question with the entire team offensively, is it's no longer about talent. It's certainly no longer about depth. Like they got plenty of depth in the skill position at this point. They got plenty of guys that can make plays. Uh, the question is, are they going to be able to put those guys in the best possible positions to make those plays? And the one thing in particular that I'm interested to see as we move forward, obviously the formations are important. Are they going to spread the field more? Are they going to put Mac in the gun more? Those types of things. But what are they going to do to the 
passing system in general? Is this still going to be the complex passing system that we've seen in the past? Because I think the one thing that you can say about a guy like Tyquan Thornton, like it's one thing to have a route con- conversion down the field where he's running a post if it's if it's too high and he's running an over if it's single high, right? Or a fade if it's single high. It's one thing to have those little things, but to bog a guy down like that because he's thinking too much and not allowing him to run 4-3 just because he's got so much on his mind of where am I supposed to be at and what's the conversion and what's the route and what's the guy next to me doing. And I, I've heard in the past that some of these speed guys do get bogged down by that, right? They just want to go. They, they just want to hit the gas. I would definitely like to see their offense in general become a little bit more locked. And what I mean by that is just a fade's a fade, right? It doesn't matter if it's single high, if it's uh, too high, if it's man, if it's zone. When we call a fade in the huddle, you're running a fade. And and I think that that's something that I kind of am hoping uh, that they're going to move towards a little bit more and recognizing that the college game has changed so much in the passing game that there just really isn't, all these option routes and there isn't all these conversions and, and these teams are just running these wide open offenses and they're letting guys get up the field. And I think that that's where they need to go in general as a team, because otherwise it's going to be really difficult to find guys that translate in from the college game to the pro game. So I think they're going to continue to run into roadblocks with drafting wide receivers if they keep it this complex. And, and I think that that's something that they have indirectly acknowledged i think matt grow has said it a couple of times about the college game and about the way that receivers are used in the college game and even in lower levels like high school or seven on seven that's the way that they need to start playing because that's the way the talent is playing right and if you keep on trying to make guys into something that they're not well now you're adding another obstacle in their development when it's already hard enough to go from the college uh, to the pro game and translate so I hope it comes a little bit more simplified, I guess is the long, uh, the short of that long answer. And uh, I guess we'll see, but yeah. someday they got to, they got to make that transition. I think. I, right. I think so. And it now makes sense. You got a young quarterback, you got a new coaching staff. I mean, it's a natural, it's a right. natural time to make that transition. Do we want to do a, uh, did you have another question or one last question? This one's for you. Okay. Uh, I'm oh. bringing this one up for you. A Bailey Zappy question. Oh, because, this is your guy now. You're very high on Bailey Zappi. I, I am. I I thought, you know, if he'd gone to a team like Atlanta, if he'd gone to a team like, who, who were the other, like Carolina, yeah, uh, New Orleans, I thought there was a chance he was going to compete for a starting job. I don't think that happens in New England, at least not right away. Um, I The thing with Zappi, to me, would people need to understand? Cause they look at the quarterbacks who have set all these records and Joe Burrow's obviously the exception, right? Joe Burrow set the records at LSU. We won a national championship, all that, but um, you know, whether it's guys like um, whether it's, it's guys like Graham Harrell, right. Who was somebody who put all those numbers up. Um, if uh, I'm trying to remember some of the, the older names, obviously uh, Colt Brennan was somebody who held those records at one point, uh, Tommy Chang before him, there's a, Houston quarterback in there I'm missing oh um no Boise State the OC for the Broncos now Kellen Moore Kellen Moore thank you like these guys that put up these video game numbers right yeah Uh, oh I was thinking Broncos because he was at Boise State Broncos yeah these guys who put up these video game numbers a lot of the times it it becomes just as a it's a volume thing you throw the ball so much and look Zappy threw the ball almost 100 times more than the next closest quarterback in college football last year 
that's part of the reason he threw for 7,000 yards and 60 touchdowns. I'm not going to, or 70 touchdowns. I'm not going to like push back on that. The thing is normally the volume goes both ways. Normally those guys also get sacked a ton. They get picked off a ton. They're just simply throwing the ball a lot. Bailey Zappi threw just 11 picks last year. His interception rate was about 1.6%, which among qualifying quarterbacks was 17th in the nation. That's not incredible, but that's out of like 60-something quarterbacks. He's in the top third percentile. That's pretty good, again, for how much he threw the ball. Um, in his three ga- two games last year against Power 5 teams, he wasn't picked off. Against Appalachian State last year, the, the 17th-ranked defense in the nation, he wasn't picked off. That team allowed 325 yards per game last year total. Overall, Zappi threw for 311 yards against them in the first half of that bowl game. There's a lot of reason to think Bailey Zappi is going to be something. Now, he is undersized. He is a little bit on the older side. He feels maxed out. But I I think he has a place in the league as like a fringe, you know, low-quality starter, high-quality backup. If he balls out, that's ultimately good. That That's ultimately good for the Patriots. You want to have good quarterbacks. I buy into the theory that, you know, there's nothing wrong with with investing in a backup quarterback, even if he hopes you hope he never plays, right? I see people bitching. Well, why make the pick? What does it matter if he's not going to play? You have health insurance. You have car insurance. Why do you pay yeah. for that, right? You're going to get a whole, you're hoping to get a whole lot of use out of your health insurance. You know, it's it's kind of like that. So, and then ultimately, if he does play well, to go back to the actual question, right? And some people are ahead of me on this. If he goes and balls it, like, I don't think it happens this year. I think this year he hangs around. I think he's going to beat out Stidham. I think he's going to be the second active quarterback on game days. That's it. Let's say, like, he does that this year, and then next year he balls out in the preseason. Get ready to hear, oh, there's interest around the league in Bailey Zappi. Yeah. And maybe it takes another year after that. Even if he doesn't start, and you hope that they're in a spot where they have the playoffs locked up in week 18, and maybe they can start him one week. Look at what Matt Flynn did, right? Matt Flynn right. had one good game. He wasn't traded, but he got a massive contract. Like, let's say Bailey Zappi gets that one game, and he plays well. You're going to get more than the 137th pick back for him if you trade him. I don't think he finishes his contract out in New England. I think they, the goal is you have him here. You have a good backup for three years. You trade him, and you hope you get better than a fourth-round pick back for him or a high fourth-round pick. He was picked late in the round, right? Maybe a fringe top 100 pick. That's not unrealistic if he if he works out. Look at in the past with in Castle's a little different because he played a full season. But how much did Jimmy really play that they got a second round pick for him? Game and a half. Game and a half. Yeah. Game and a half. And there were red flags galore with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. I would actually, as a prospect, and I know he went two rounds later. It's a lot of different situations. I think Zappi's more or less what Garoppolo was coming out as a prospect. I think Garoppolo was overdrafted. So, yeah. What if what if Zappi is a stud? Well, then maybe the Patriots turn the 137th pick into a top 100 pick. That's what. And you know what? Absolute worst case scenario if he's a stud and Mac Jones isn't, well, then you still have a stud quarterback. So, there's – It's only good it, news for Bailey Zappi. I, I, I will admit I did not love the pick where they picked because I thought at 137 – there were still guys on the board that could contribute to the defense specifically. Like there were still defensive players at that point of the draft that I thought could come in and help. But at the same time, I look at that 2016 QB room, even the 2017 QB room before they traded Jimmy G Brady, Jimmy G Jacoby Brissett. 
might be one of the best QB rooms we've seen in the last 20, 25 years in the NFL, right? That was as good as it gets from starter to backup to third string. And I think the Patriots would consistently like to build the same thing over and over again. And best case scenario, you have two really good quarterbacks and Zappy becomes a trade asset. Worst case scenario, Mac Jones isn't the guy or he gets hurt. And then Bailey Zappi is a good player and can come in and play for you. And it's like you said, it's car insurance, it's health insurance. Like this is what you have these policies for in life. And I think it's similar with the Patriots. I, I didn't love where they picked him, but I can see why they picked him. Right. And I think you know what? Difference. I, I would be freaking out more if they picked Sam Howell. I really would because Sam Howell is not like they don't need to work with Bailey Zappi. I think yeah. that's the value in that, right? Bailey Zappi's going to come in. They don't need to coach him up. He's pretty ready. Sam Howell, Howell is not even a fit in this offense. Like right. I, it, the talent Bailey's, is one thing, but it's, it's not even, it doesn't even work in this. No, offense. but I would say I like, like with Zappi, I don't know how much they need to coach him up. I don't know how much right. room he has to grow, but they don't need to coach him up. He's going to come in. It's going to be seamless. Like who are the other top quarterbacks on the board? Like Sam Howell's a mess. Sam Howell is all the worst parts of, of Baker Mayfield. Um, yeah. Who who else who else was it that people wanted them to take that was there? Um, there was one other name people kept throwing around. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, no, I I, I like the pick. Was, I think Willis was already gone, right? Malik Willis was that would be if they took him over Malik Willis. I would I would be. Yeah, I think it was. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember who the other guy was. I mean, I guess uh, like in the sixth round they could have gone EJ Perry or uh, Caleb, or Caleb Ellaby, but like yeah. I, again, he's a better prospect than those guys. I don't hate those guys. Yeah, uh, but he's a better prospect than those. Guys. Oh, Brock Purdy was the other one. Oh no, Brock good. Purdy's not that good. Brock right. Brock That's Purdy is is an Iowa state quarterback. Through that, through. That, that's a, that's enough uh, Bailey Zappy talk. I think for now, for now, uh, for now. All right. Now it's time. I'm very excited to unveil our new <laughs> and improved graphic for the Boston sports minute. Here we go. The best yeah. part of the show, an hour and three minutes in, and now I'm the most jacked up I've been in the, in the whole hour and three minutes that we've been talking Boston sports minute, Alex, where do you want to start? I guess we got to start with the Bruins because they uh, played last night and did not play well again. I said I wasn't worried about the Bruins the other night. I am now officially worried about the Bruins. I don't know how you couldn't be. So where do you stand now on the Bs? you think this series has any chance of being a series, or do you think Carolina's running away with it? I mean, it's it's not a series till somebody wins on the road, right? And you hope the Bruins can kind of get some, some mojo from the TD Garden crowd and get going, but it's the same thing every yeah. single year. Where they and look, sometimes they get a series, sometimes they get two, but they just hit a point in the playoffs where the other team just bullies them and they don't punch back and they just turtle. We like it's it's the every year. It's like they didn't get our hopes up as much this year. Last year they got our hopes up much more, but this this is what they do. This is it. This is what this core has been. I know they won the cup in 2011, but they weren't the core of that team. You had so many other big names: Milan Lucic, Nathan Horton. Um, you had Seinberg, you had Tim Thomas. This is just what this team does. And look, I, I it's something I love Patrice Bergeron. I love Brad Marshall. I really do, but you got to have an answer in the playoffs when somebody's beating the crap out of you. They put, they, they probably knocked Lindholm out for the season last night. Carolina did. And the answer back is Brad Marshall slashing a goalie. It's right. not enough. It's not enough. The bigger bully was going to win that game last night and the Bruins let themselves get bullied. And it's a, a pattern. 
I know everybody kind of looks at Marshawn and Bergeron because of the two leaders of the team, but to me, it's the younger talent for the Bruins that needs to step up. It's Pasternak, it's McAvoy, it's obviously Taylor Hall, even Jake DeBrusque, who gave them something down the stretch on that first line with Bergeron and Marshawn. Like those guys are the ones that I'm looking at in this series and saying that they need to step the game up a little bit because Bergeron and Marshawn at this point in their careers, I don't know if they have another playoff gear, right? Like I don't know if they can climb to another level like they maybe did in 2011 or they did in the two other cup runs that they made. The guys that are in their prime that are, you know, the younger players on the roster that are talented, like this is supposed to be McAvoy's time to like, announce his presence as a top defenseman in the league, right? Like this is supposed to be his moment to be that rise to that ascension of Norris trophy winner. And I I don't know if he's really done that in this series. So that that's kind of what I'm looking for out of the Bruins is are some of these younger guys going to step up a little bit? Cause if they don't, then they're toast. I don't think Bergeron and Marshawn are playing are going to get exceptionally better than what they have given the Bruins in the first two games. It kind of comes down to the other guys. And I do think that they're a little bit deeper in the forwards in Carolina. If they can roll those four lines, I I do think they have an advantage there. So we'll see, but you got to get game three, obviously. And you hope that the home ice puts some pressure on Carolina. They've choked before this Carolina core. They, they've blown, blown some leads against the Bruins. I think a couple of years ago, right? They they blew a 2-0 series lead against this Bruins team. So I think that they've they've shown in the past that if you put some pressure back on them. And one last thing about Carolina, that coach is a hack. My goodness. That guy is a, more, yeah, he's, that guy he's is a piece good. of work. My God. I mean, the things that he said after the game about how it was dirtier, what Pasternak did to the goalie, like, come on, give me a break. Pasternak tried to get out of the way, first of all. And second of all, like it was kind of like a bang play, bang, bang play. I would compare it to almost like a catcher getting run over at home plate, right? Like it's like there's only one place to go, right? Well, no, you know? he passed Pasternak tried to get out of the way. And yeah. then, and then I don't, I didn't see what it was, but when around his teammates skated by going after Pasternak, need him right in the head, knocked his yeah. helmet off. That's why he started bleeding. But again, they, they, made, they stepped up, they stepped up. They, you know, they, they, they put their hurricanes on the table and the Bruins didn't. The Bruins simply didn't. And that's if they're going to play dirty, fine. It's playoff hockey. Answer. Answer back. You don't, you know, taking the high road's not going to get you anywhere in that setting. Yeah. And I, I know that, that Brendan Moore had a, like a decent NFL career and won some selfies. Look at, uh, yeah, NHL career. Look at Adam now. He's in the league for like 100 years. But like, where does that guy get off? Like, you're not, you're not Wayne Gretzky, right? Like, you're, you're not, you're not like some, you're not Mario Lemieux. Like, you're not, you're no one special. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He just, that guy's got an ego on him. He's never won a cup as a coach. He was a, a, a decent player for a long time, but never a special player. I just don't know where that ego comes from with a guy like that. It's just, it's too much for me. All right. Uh, Celtics still off. They got for another two weeks. No, just, just kidding. Uh, until Saturday, all of a sudden my feelings on these two teams. And I admittedly said to you that sometimes I get a little bit emotional about my Celtics and I, I I can't really see through that, but the Celtics all of a sudden I was at the game on Tuesday night, easily one of the better atmospheres I've been a part of, uh, at a Celtics game in a couple of years. I would say it's probably comparable to you know, one of those Eastern Conference Finals games against the Cavs in, in Tatum's early years or something like that. But that 
place was rocking. And I think it felt like not only did the fans know that they were kind of playing for their season. I mean, if you lose two games in a row at home at the beginning of the series, you're probably not coming back. But I think the other thing that the fans knew was that Marcus Smart wasn't playing in the game and that energy kind of had to come from the building, right? Like they needed the the fans to be sort of that six man. That place was as much a part of that win in that first half as, as anything on a Tuesday night. And, what a performance from Jalen. I mean, I, I don't, I think that's the best half of basketball I've ever seen Jalen Brown play. Uh, just hitting everything, uh, the handles, like it wasn't even just, you know, athleticism, right? The handles too uh, yeah. were on point. I mean, he was fantastic. Grant Williams was fantastic. Uh, wh- what do you think about the season? They, I, I think that they, they got a chance here, uh, not only against Milwaukee, but this team looks like it's got some backbone to it. They, they look like they got some, some fight back, which I love to see. Yeah, it really does. And and the way they played in that first half, and I know they were making all their shots, but it goes beyond that. It's the way they were moving off the ball. It's the way they were playing defense, the team defense, all of it. When they play like that, they're unbeatable. And and like all of their shots were going down. There's a reason all of their shots were going down. They were getting terrific looks, all of that, right? I I know they kind of let up in the third quarter, but to to play the way they did in that first half, I mean, that was a great sign to see. Yeah, I I think they got to go and they got to get at least one in Milwaukee here. Um, I think this is good, like a much tougher series than the net series was for sure. They got to go get one in Milwaukee, but they're in good shape right now. I'm not, yeah, I'm not worried about them at all. I think what you saw in game one was a team that hadn't played in a week and they hadn't right. They beat the nets. That game was on a, I think Monday was game four when they locked that up. That game was on a Monday and then they didn't play again until Sunday was, was game, uh, game one against, against Milwaukee. So they shook the rust off. They got down to business. They got mad. The other thing I really loved about that game, every gotta have, like when it started getting a little close at the end, yeah. right? Every single gotta have a shot from Jason Tatum went down. Like, I mean, there's, he's like, oh, you gotta hit this. You gotta hit this. You gotta right. every single one of those. There were like four or five of them in the fourth quarter. He knocked down that superstar stuff right there. That was awesome. So I fully expect Giannis to come back and score 45 on the Celtics in game three. So maybe I don't know. He looked, he looked, that's as thin skinned as I've ever seen him. No, I was going to say that I was texting you at the game. I was like, look, if this game, if this, when this series comes back to Boston for game five and potentially a game seven, I think the fans even here in Boston can get out under that guy's skin. I I don't think that he's as, as doesn't, I don't think he has as much gusto as people think he does. Like, I, I think he gets a lot of credit for, for having, uh, you know, big, big balls on him and all that kind of stuff and being able to, uh, you know, tune that out. I don't know. He looked pretty rattled in that game. I think he was rattled by the fact that Al Horford and Grant Williams could stay with him. You know, like he, he was right. trying to shake those guys the entire game and they were right up on him. And I don't think he really runs into a whole lot of defenders that are long, are physical, and can stand up to him. And I think he was kind of shell-shocked by the fact that the Celtics were able to do that. And basically the only move that he could do was the, you know, it was like a running back in football and just lower his shoulder into somebody and get to the hoop, right? I mean, that was essentially all he had in his bag against those two. And, I, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I think that the, the Boston fans, I think the Celtics, I think they got under his skin a little bit in game two. I think he was frustrated. You could You could tell it. You could – see the look on his face, especially after halftime, uh, that he was a little bit a little bit pissed off about what was going on. Do you want to say anything about the Red Sox, or can we just wrap it? They're ba- I do, because I feel like I should. I feel like we shouldn't let them off here. They're getting, they're, they got two teams in the playoffs, two other teams, so they're maybe not getting a ton of attention. I can't believe a team 
with three major league, maybe three major league pitchers on the roster struggling to close out games. It's it's disgraceful what they turned this team into. I, I, I know Haim Bloom thinks that if he tinkers with his numbers, he can find players without having to pay them. And look, it got him Garrett Whitlock. I'm not saying it's a totally flawed strategy. I there's some it's what the Patriots are doing at some positions. We talked about middle linebacker, right? You get four, five, 50, 50 guys, you hope one of them hits. That can't be your entire pitching staff. You can't, you need established major league pitchers, right? Say what you will about Eduardo Rodriguez. He wasn't always the best. Established major league pitcher. They didn't really bring in anybody to replace him. And Michael Walker's worked out. We'll see how long that lasts, right? Yeah, it's not gonna you last. know, the, the bullpen. They don't have, who in the bullpen is a major league pitcher? Really? Garrett, uh, 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 Robles, Hansel Robles, maybe? When Whitlock's in the starting rotation, it's Robles. It's really it. Matt Barnes has totally lost it. I, I get Hank Strom has been interesting, fine, whatever. I'm not super into that. Like, they don't have any pitching. And then, fine. We knew they weren't going to have pitching. Well, they're going to hit. Well, they're going to hit. Trevor Story can't hit. He just yeah. can't. Alex Verdugo has been ice cold to start the season. They can't justify having Jackie Bradley Jr. in the outfield, especially now that Hunter Renfro is tearing it up, is absolutely tearing it up. Here's what kills me about this team, Evan, and then and then I'll wrap this up because I know you want to wrap up the show. It's all good. When the Red Sox, when they were doing their thing in 2018, right? How many viewers have we lost? We only lost 20 during this rant. Well, no, you, you're, you're nailing this. So I'm just going to let you have the floor. When, when the Red Sox were doing their thing in 2018, record-setting wins, you know, gauntlet of an offense, all of that, their hallmark, their carrying card was they worked pitchers to the bone. They they had guys at 100 pitches in the fifth, sixth inning, sometimes in the fourth. I mean, pitchers had to earn every single out. Even if the bats weren't on one night, they still tested the pitching staff. This year, the Red Sox are number one in swing rate. And I think they're like third in, in, in rate swinging at pitches outside of the zone. The patience is completely gone. The approach is completely gone. They're just up there hacking. That was supposed to be an Alex Cora, J.D. Martinez staple, and it's completely out the window. And until yeah. they fix that, until they, like, I'm not going to totally write them off, especially after what the Celtics did, right? I'm right. not going to totally write the Red Sox off. But and it's also baseball. I mean, it's what? Ben it is baseball, ben right. Season, right? So he's still got a long but way to go. If they don't fix that approach, there's until they fix the approach. If they fix it, there's no reason to watch this team. None, not a. I, I, I am not going to spend my nights this summer watching a team. Oh one, oh two, one two strikeout. Yeah. It's like a team full of Steven Drews. <laughs> I, I'm not dedicating my time to that. I'm just not. And they they know how to do it. That's what's frustrating. Yeah, they've been. They used to be their best element, and now they can't do it. Killing me. All right, we lost. So time. today uh, I was the first day since the draft that I've actually had some time to breathe and, and kind of relax a little bit since the draft. And Shohei Otani's on the mound. They're playing a, a matinee game. I was like, this is perfect. Like I'll, I'll do, you know, some, some lazy work on the laptop, watch some Red Sox. And then I remembered to myself, I was like, why do I even want to watch the Red Sox? Like even on a, when I have nothing else to do, and it's in the middle of the day. I still don't want to watch this team. You mentioned the hitting. That's where it starts for me. They knew their pitching was going to suck. They got to hit better. Trevor Story, all of them. Like, it's not just Trevor Story. All of them got to hit better. That's where they were, suppo they were supposed to be one of those lineups that was, you know, automatic five, six runs, right? You know, that that's that's supposed to be what we're dealing with here. 
they haven't hit anywhere near as well as enough for what they're paying those guys and, and what the expectation was for those guys. And I think Heim Bloom is so obsessed with the math. And you know, I love Heim Bloom. I love the nerds, but I think that he's one of those guys that says, look, my projections are not for 20 games. My pretty two. Right. So, well, well, you're out of it after the 20. So nobody cares about the rest of them. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm just saying that's the way that they look at it. And that's the problem is when you're in such a competitive division, like the AFC, uh, AFC, AL East, there we go. When you're in such a competitive division, you can't just say, oh, the first 25 games don't matter because over the course of 162, we're going to come out with 90 wins. Right. I mean, you're already too far behind. You're going to be in third place with the way that this division looks if you're going to be that kind of team. So very, been very disappointing. And we're, we're knocking on the door here of just Red Sox for a little while. So we, we, we got to see something. Otherwise, hey, our numbers will be great after uh, mini camp and, and training camp if the Red Sox continue like this. So that's that's one thing we can look forward to. Uh, that's been your Boston Sports 20 minutes. Uh, we say Boston Sports Minute. And uh, it's really 20 minutes or so. I love the new backer. It's perfect. And uh, now I'll go back to the old backer and wrap the show uh, on the Patriots beat backer because that's what this program is really about. But as always, thanks for listening to us uh, talk about the rest of the teams here in Boston. And Alex and I will be back next week on Tuesday. We're going to continue with two shows a day as long as you guys want to hear us and as long as we got stuff to talk about. We'll continue with two shows a day throughout their entire offseason here we're getting into that point of the offseason, though, Alex, where this is definitely the downtime and, and where things go really quiet. But we'll think of things to talk about, and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, at the end of the month and at the beginning of June when we get out there for OTAs and mini camps. So looking forward to the next couple of weeks. We'll be back on Tuesday. Uh, and thanks so much for watching, everybody. For Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. We'll see you guys next week.